Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise, I guarantee you're in the right place. The buzz today, show me the money. The answer, what kind of money? And the other answer, what's in your wallet? What is she talking about? Well, let's look in a reality check here. Our current financial world is filled with, rife with, riddled with inefficiencies. We've got cross-border payments that take days. They cost a lot. Trying to send funds between banks, interbanks, it's slow. Accessing your money, it's just plain cumbersome. Trading securities, well, it takes time. Uh, there's a new kid on the block. Hail cryptocurrency. I'm talking about Bitcoin. I'm talking about blockchain. You may have seen them in the news. You may have heard about them on some kind of a TV show like Cyber CSI Cyber last year. These were created to solve some of these challenges. What are they? How do they work? Should your business, should your industry, should you personally adopt this new form of money, of currency? What are the risks? Yep, that's right. We're talking about security breaches, security risks. This is a recurring theme here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. I have a wonderful panel lined up to help explain this. We'll do some defining and level setting for those of you who've just heard the words floating around but really don't know what they mean and what they mean to you. Let me just tell you who's on the panel first, and then I'll start introducing them. First up, a newcomer to Coffee Break. He is Angus Champion DeCrepney. He's a senior manager in the Financial Services Office at EY, where he leads blockchain strategy. That's why he's here. Joining him is our longtime regular panelist on these topics, Richard McCammon, who is the CEO at DeLego, D-E-L-E-G-O, software. And rounding out the panel is the lady who is our security expert here who brings up these wonderful topics. It's Gerlinda Zabolski at SAP. She leads the security product management since 2009, been doing it a long time, and she is our resident expert. So let's get started. I'm going to introduce Angus Champion DeCrepney with the quote he sent me from a gentleman named Terry Pratchett, P-R-A-T-C-H-E-T-T, if you want to look him up. Very interesting guy, sir. Terrence David John Terry Pratchett, OBE, who passed away just uh, last year, 2015, was an English author of fantasy novels, especially comical works. He's best known for Discworld, I didn't say disco, Discworld series of 41 novels, including The Carpet People, The Color of Magic. He wrote two books a year on average, prolific, you might say, 85 million books sold worldwide in 37 languages, and he was the UK's best-selling author of the 90s. What's so special about Terry Pratchett? Here is the quote. It's not worth doing something unless you were doing something that someone somewhere would much rather you weren't doing. Angus Champion DeCrepney, welcome. How are you, Angus? Very well, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me. We are delighted. We're delighted. I think we have some of your colleagues at EY listening e- actively, and we hope they will tweet along with me at hashtag SAP Radio. Angus, are you a big fan of Terry Pratchett? And how did you come across this quote? Talk to me. I, I am a big fan of him, and I, I'm not usually a, a fantasy type guy, but his, you know, he wrote very funny books, but also very uh, unintentional. Well. Um, subtly very insightful comments throughout it and you know this um, 
so quotes such as this, which will be used in the context of his books, but um, but gets uh, but really becomes relevant in in a lot of different things, certainly in the business world and uh, certainly in financial services, where um, it can be rather uh, conservative or traditional in some ways, um, but. A lot of people in this whole, this age of technological disruption are doing things that a lot of incumbent businesses would prefer that they were just not doing. And um, so I I like this quote, particularly in this area. Um, You are, and we'll... um, We'll get into it um, uh, later on, but being able to create a money which no one can particularly control, there's a lot of people that would prefer people weren't doing it, but it, uh, it opens up a lot of new possibilities that we should be uh, diving deeper into. Interesting. You said that we should be diving deeper into. Just into. Does that mean, Angus, that the risks are less than the rewards? Give me, just give me your POV on this one before we move on, please. I think longer term, the you know there there are new there are risks with any new technology or any solution. There are risks in using cash versus uh, versus uh, electronic forms of uh, transfers and and vice versa. And um, looking at this as a new technology with uh, with significant power, we need to look into that, work out what the uh, what the benefits are, work out what the risks are, manage them so that we can capture more of the benefits and, and reduce uh, and reduce the risks. Thank you very much, Angus. Such a pleasure to have you on the show and nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us. And now let's go to our regular panelist on all of these security topics. It's Richard McCammon, CEO at DeLego Software, who's been very busy traveling, and he tells me today he is actually home, probably for the first time in a long time. Richard has selected a quote from William Bruce Cameron, the author of the book Informal Sociology. William Bruce Cameron, some people call him William B. Cameron, some call him W. Bruce Cameron. I found both. He's an American humor columnist. Interesting that Terry Pratchett is also so a writer of, of humorous novels. Very interesting. Uh, we don't usually get similar genres in these pic- the quotes that our guests picked. Uh, Bruce Cameron is best remembered as the author of the best-selling self-improvement book, Get Ready for This, Kids, Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, which actually became a short-lived... <laughs> for good reason, excuse me, ABC sitcom that aired in the early 2000s on U.S. TV. I don't know if it was around the world. Uh, his book was released in 2008 and already had a Hollywood movie deal before its publication. He's also the author of How to Remodel a Man, oh my goodness, which is excerpt in Oprah's O! magazine, and he wrote a novel called A Dog's Purpose. We'll just leave that alone. Here is the quote Richard has selected from Mr. Cameron. I'm going to read the long version, Richard, and then we'll get to the guts of it. He says, it would be nice if all of the data which sociologists require could be enumerated because then we could run them through IBM machines and draw charts as the economists do. However, not everything that can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted. Richard McCammon, how have you been? I've been busy, as, 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 as everybody else, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, as you pointed out, uh, lots of travels in the last couple of months. And, and you're uh, home. That's good. Where are you, home. in Canada today? I'm just outside London, Ontario, in Canada, yes. Okay, so you've got a London up there, too. I, I won't ask about whether there's going to be a, a, an echo of Brexit up there. We'll just leave that alone. So, Richard, are you a big fan of, of W.B. Cam- I'm going to excerpt him, W.B. Cameron. And uh, did you know he was the author of Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter? 
Actually, when I was digging in for quotations for this show, uh, uh, this is one that I came across. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't read any of his books, in fact. So I, I, based on everything that I've been doing the research on, I'm going to have to pick up some of them because they sound, they sound delightful. <laughs> but, uh, well, the TV show was uh, questionably delightful. I watched a couple episodes and, and used my, the power of the clicker and went somewhere else. So, yeah, I'd, I'd read the books, not the TV show. So tell me, I think this quote has been attributed to... Einstein, other people before, I don't know, other, other people who are often the recipients of misattributions. But how does this apply to our topic today? Not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. Richard? Well, I think it, it, it's a, a number of different ways. I mean, certainly it, it talks about uh, things like Bitcoin, but it's in the larger picture, it's also the things that uh, we even discussed just before the radio show goes of, of some of the, uh, the fraudulent activities that happen in the... Uh, not just currency worlds, but also the credit cards and everything else that we've been talking about on so many other shows. So, you know, it's it's a lot of the things that can't be counted that matter. It's it's relationships. It's it's uh, you know, if your if money is stolen from someone you really trust and can be done that way, then it's it's it all all of those build themselves into this this single quotation. And as it pertains to today, um, if you take hard currency, you know, the bills that we use, the, the coins that we use, those can all be physically counted. We put them on our desk and we count the fives and the tens and I never count the hundreds. I don't get any of those. <laughs> so, but all of those can be physically counted with things like bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies. Uh, we, can't, we can't actually count them. The electronics count them all, but mm-hmm. we can't physically count them ourselves. And, and so it's a uh, and obviously, they have tremendous value. I mean, Bitcoin, last I checked in the last week or so, was running about $850 U.S., way up from just a few years ago at $22. So it obviously hmm. has great value, um, but we can't physically count it anymore. And that, that's going to be a challenge for some people. I know a lot of people that really want to be able to touch their money and feel their money. And then there's lots of people who are going completely digital, um, using mm-hmm. different forms of, of payments, uh, you know, cell phones are coming popular, all the rest of the types. So it's, it's going to be an interesting mix over the next few years. Thank you, Richard. Also, a very good, insightful comment on our topic today. Pleasure to have you back. And now let's turn to Gerlinda Zabolski at SAP, and she's calling in from Germany. Gerlinda is the, the brainchild behind these security breach topics. We're now at Part 7. It's been going on for a long time, and she always comes up with great topics to share on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Gerlinda today has selected a quote from John Maynard Keynes. Those of you who don't know him, Mr. Keynes was also known as the first baron Keynes, or Keynes, some people pronounce it. He was an English economist whose ideas fundamentally changed the theory and practice of macroeconomics and the economic policies of governments. He built on and greatly refined earlier work on the causes of business cycles and is widely considered as one of the most influential economists of the 20th century and the founder of modern macroeconomics. Let me read the quote. The difficulty lies not so much in developing new ideas, but in escaping from old ones. Gerlinda, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. I'm sitting actually not in the SAP headquarters office, but in a smaller office in Bensheim where we have an off-site meeting today, which is uh, north, good 45 minutes north of Waldorf. 
Well, thank you for joining us and taking time out from whatever you're doing. And, Gerlinda, are you a big fan of, of Mr. Keynes, I should pronounce it correctly, and the difficulty lies so much in, not so much in developing new ideas, but escaping from the old ones. So in my opening, Gerlinda, I asked, well, show me the money, what money, what's in your wallet today? So just as Richard McCammon so astutely mentioned, we want to touch our money. We want to see it. We want to feel it. So is this the idea that we would be trying to escape from if society in general decided cryptocurrency is all we're allowed to have? What's your thought on that? So I'm definitely a fan of Keynes. I studied economics, and Keynesian uh, theory is a big part of that. It, there is people that, of course, debate his ideas, but what I really liked about him is that he tried the things he did, and um, he lost a lot of money once at the stock exchange and then went into hiding at a friend and um, analyzed it all when he was very, very young and then came up, started to come up with ideas on interest rates that then later on at the very end developed in all these theories about money, unemployment, and interest. When I, when I, when I picked this quote, however, is to me it seems that at least I, I can't really see the usage for uh, bitcoins. Um, the, 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 I understand that they're trying to solve the problem of uh, a, a virtual currency, but um, and that's where the second part of the quote comes in here, but in escaping from old ones. The problem really is, is I mean, why can't the banks transfer money pretty quickly right now? Why do we need bitcoins? With all this ubiquity and connectivity and standardization, why cannot banks help us in transferring money pretty quickly from one point to the next? Technologically, we must be there. So I, I can't understand it. So I can't understand why we cannot escape from that problem. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Let me circle back to Angus, who is uh, one of our experts here on the panel. Angus, what's your thought? Good question from Gerlinda. Why is it this way? Why is it, as I said in my opening, rife with inefficiencies, time delays, money involved, slow, cumbersome? Why is it so bad? It's a few reasons, and I think that the one thing that sometimes the um, the industry can lose sight of is that technology is one component of how money moves through our system. There's also all sorts of regulatory constraints. Um, some, you know, there are operational processes. Now, some of this stuff can be uh, can be streamlined if we think about our processes slightly differently and look at this technology. This, you know, would be it either blockchain technology or uh, or other forms of cryptocurrency that establish establish trust in the digital space so you can you can move value from A to B without needing someone in the middle to authenticate it. With with that new structure in place, you can start to think through your businesses in different ways. Now, will you still need to comply with compliance requirements? Yes. Will you still need to uh, go through the various other operational things, such as if you need to reverse payments, if you need to um, if you need to have certain capital requirements in place and have legal things to to make sure that uh, that those are there? But if you can move away from the siloed approach that we have at the moment where one financial institution will have one data set, another will have another, and then someone sitting in the middle to, to validate that that's all, all correct, then there may be new ways in which we can, you know, we can streamline some of this. But there's, you know, financial system is a very, very complex uh, 
um, mm-hmm. uh, beast, and there's there's a lot of stuff beyond just the technology that people need to work through. Okay, Gerlinda, does that answer the question? <laughs> These are valid points, uh, but I'm just wondering. I mean, so so I understand the regulatory compliance, but if I look at so I come from a software that a uh, company that that provides enterprise resource planning software where buyers and sellers can connect. Why cannot banks connect in a similar way their banking systems? That's what, what I don't get. Another item is, I mean, why do we need these complicated account numbers? In Germany, they just uh, created these IBAN numbers that are really, really long. Um, I have my, just a simple email will identify me, galinda.zebowski at gmail.com, that's an identifier, and that's unique. So um, I still don't get it, so I'm not convinced. Yeah. yeah it, it, <laughs> okay, Genghis, go ahead. Yeah, my, the, you know, and I think this goes into much more the general fintech movement that for, for quite some time financial institutions have been in a, fairly privileged position where if you needed to move money you had to go through go through them and now you've had smaller uh, smaller players starting to pick off individual pieces of the uh, the ecosystem and targeting on that and focusing very much on customer experience and uh, some are having more success than others but for that exact reason why do you need to enter in your account number your um, sort code or BSB or whatever it is in your particular country, but now you're dealing with this other country, so you've got to do that. You have to do that at the moment because you don't have an alternative. But people are, you know, as people develop alternatives, as things such as uh, cryptocurrencies or other technology technology enablers make customer experience in value transfers simpler, um, then you know, then financial institutions will be you know will will need to adapt and and we are we are seeing that a lot see that this is um, you know this is this is what what needs to happen and how do we improve customer experience how do we streamline our our processes and as all and as all of that cryptocurrencies it's early but they will likely play a part in in that future state to to help facilitate that uh, that easier customer experience I think uh, I can jump in here now. Yeah, Richard, uh, please, go ahead. I think uh, a big part of what we're talking about goes back to uh, the whole concepts of security and authentication. I mean, it may be easy to use an email address to to identify yourself, but does it truly identify yourself? And we've, you know, uh, the whole concept of authentication is very fundamental to all of the processes that we have in place, whether it be the cryptocurrencies and blockchain or all the way through to you know, the simple transactions that we're doing today using uh, a credit card, for instance. It's all about authentication in the, in the end. Where the cryptocurrencies have an advantage at the moment, and I put that in air quotes, mm-hmm. is that the, uh, the use of a private key and a public key in order to identify yourself and authenticate yourself is somewhat unique in what we're doing. And that's one of the, the, the authentication routes are very strong within the cryptocurrencies. The downside of it, though, is that there's no recovery mechanism. And so a lot of the, the failures that have happened in, in the uh, Bitcoin world particularly have resulted from just people losing their keys or, or um, worse, 
part of the software engine uh, that handles all of the cryptocurrencies, dropping a key part of the entire message structure such that those coins could never be used again. And, mm. and it's, once they're lost, they're lost. There's no recovery of them. So it's not like so many of the other things that we've got that we consider currencies that can be regained. If, if the bank screws up, they're on the hook. It may take me a while to convince them that they're on the hook, that they, they're the ones that screwed up, but ultimately they will. And so oh. you know, we have to build some of those things into the alternative currencies that we're looking at is that we need to, and I think Angus touched on this before, is we need to be able to reverse transactions. We need to be able to handle money uh, in, a, in a way that allows the foibles of, of humanity to recover itself. I like that, the foibles of humanity. Speaking of that, Richard, and then I'll ask Angus and Gerlindo, where is the push coming from for cryptocurrency? Was it dreamed up in somebody's basement as part of a writing a, uh, a cyber fantasy novel? Is it coming from the industry? Is it coming from consumers? Is it coming from governments? Who, who wanted this in the first place? Who is behind this move to go to cryptocurrency? Richard, any thoughts on that? Well, actually, that's a very interesting story because nobody truly knows how uh, Bitcoin particularly started. I mean, cryptocurrencies and the whole concept of blockchain have been around a long time. But okay. the whole uh, implementation through Bitcoin, it's attributed to, and I'm going to get this name wrong, Sashito, uh, but nobody knows who that is. Uh, few hmm. people have claimed that they are the uh, originators of Bitcoin, um, but nothing's ever been proven in one way or the other. So, and and uh, the chap went off. He went dark in the early 2000s as well. So we don't Satoshi really know Nakamoto. who it was. Satoshi Nakamoto. There you go. And founder of Bitcoin. This is Bitcoin Wiki, of course. Uh, they, they have a, a, an axe to grind on this one. This is dated, this information, November 22nd last year. Satoshi Nakamoto is the founder of Bitcoin, initial creator of the original Bitcoin client. He has said in a P2P Foundation profile that he is from, I don't want to take up too much time with this, let's see, that he is from um, Japan. Beyond that, here you go, Richard. Not much else is known about him and his identity. He's been working on the Bitcoin project since 2007, and it ended in late 2010. His most recent messages reportedly indicate that Satoshi is, quote, gone for good. <laughs> that was that novel I was talking about, Richard. <laughs> This, this sounds very fictitious. Um, thank you for, for the introduction to that name. Angus, any thoughts on this, this uh, supposed person who invented it? Do you have any insights? It is um, beyond beyond what you have said. There, there are a few you know there are a few people in the industry that know any much more than that. It's it, it really is like something out of a science fiction novel that you have this currency in the you know currency in the on the internet that runs on this blockchain technology by itself, created by someone who holds a significant portion of the uh, of the Bitcoin in existence, but no one knows who he, she, or they are. Um, but it was it came out from uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he, she, or they are, um, had been working on it, and the at least in the white paper that they put out um, describing uh, describing this technology. It was out of dissatisfaction with the current financial system, uh, particularly around 2008, uh, when uh, the economy, you know, when when all of 2008 happened, 
Um, and this was the view with this was that this could be a a currency that sits outside of the traditional financial system where uh, financial institutions were in the eyes of um, of a number of people uh, in the early days with this taking advantage of uh, the on the common of the common man. Um, so this came about and was and just over time it gained more interest because people started realizing actually being able to create something that cannot be duplicated in the digital world is incredibly powerful. And from that, people started looking at saying, well, this is great as a, this is very interesting as a currency, but we can also do a lot more than just simply transfer value on it. What what happens if we store, uh, you know, legal things on it, or if we send around uh, software code instead of just simply uh, representations of tokens, or what happens if we uh, create securities um, using this technology, and it kind of grew from there. Thank you very much. Gerlinda, are you familiar with this person, Satoshi Nakamoto? Any thoughts? Because I'm ready to ask you all what you're drinking. I think we all need a drink at this point in the show. Gerlinda, did you know that Satoshi is gone for good? Is this good news? Yeah, I would like... I would like to ask him what is he drinking or what he what he what she drinking. Um, you just now we have we have to have a series. We have to start your own series, Gerlinda. That was a, a great remark. What are your thoughts? Are you familiar with this this uh, saga? Yeah, I'm familiar with the saga, but uh, and, and of course that's one of the reasons why I don't trust uh, Bitcoin. Trust is at the very core of everything in security, and there is a way which technically establishes trust and which is done in the Bitcoin network. But how can you trust a cryptocurrency when the identity of the originator is cryptic? Um, I can, so I have my problems with that. There are some that say that this guy or this girl is sort of like a very shy Asperger syndrome-ridden autist that doesn't want to have too much involvement with the public, but I have some hard time believing that, so rather... Rather strange. Interesting. Well, if you get your own series with me, Gerlinda, we're going to have to do a show about Satoshi Nakamoto. Will the real Satoshi Nakamoto stand up or sit down or something like that? I think that's a, a great opening topic. We're going to cook up something here. Angus, I'm ready. You know what? I, because we started late, I'm going to do something we rarely do. I'm going to skip the break. So three panelists, you're in it for the long haul with me. Uh, I want to make sure we get plenty of talk time here. So Angus Champion de Krepney, I'd love to know where are you calling from and what are you drinking today or what do you desperately need to drink after the show? <laughs> um, I'm in New York in uh, around uh, Union Square right now and uh, tonight I'm probably going to have um, a nice scotch. I, it's, it's sort of one of my advices to my scotch that's probably um, more expensive than it than it should be, but I, I like to treat myself occasionally to a um, to a ni- oh, probably a nice eighteen year old tonight. I think. Okay, that was this eighteen year old scotch. We just want to be clear there. Thank you very much. Okay, and uh, Mr. McCammon, who has finally settled back in London, Ontario, after years on the road. That's what it sounded like when I spoke to you last week. What are you drinking? That's what's the pause that refreshes for you now that you're back home, Richard? Well, actually, I, I was out in California last week, so um, I, I had a rare opportunity when I'm traveling. I don't often get to uh, to get a lot of time to myself, so I, I took some time last week and found a little uh, wine bar just on uh, Pier 39 there, and so I popped out there, and I don't get a chance to taste Zinfandel very often, 
And ah. I, uh, you know, it, it, that's a, a grape that has sort of planted itself in California primarily, and, and I don't taste it very often. So I, I, I did a flight there and came up with one called Predator that I particularly like and I brought a, a bottle home, so I'll probably end up cracking that tonight. So it's Predator Zinfandel. That's interesting. Let's see if I can look it up. Predator Old Vine Zinfandel. There is a, a website called RutherfordWine.com. Uh, that's where, yes, I guess that's there. And TotalWine.com has Predator Zinfandel Old Vine Lodi. And uh, you can get it in a 750 ml bottle at BevMo.com. Very, very interesting. Okay. Thanks for the tip, Richard. Uh, I gave up on Zinfandel years ago because of all the sulfites in it, but I think I sipped some recently and it didn't have an adverse effect, so maybe I'll have to hunt down a bottle of Predator. Thank you very much for the recommendation. It's really interesting because it's all organic as well, so it's probably... Oh, good, and it's not expensive here. Wine.com, they're out of stock. It's only fourteen dollars a bottle, or fourteen ninety nine a bottle. Very interesting. Not not expensive at all. We got to get some. Gerlinda, you're in Germany. You've told us that already. What are you drinking? What time of day is it now? Uh, it's five thirty five in the afternoon. Uh, bright, sunshiny. Uh, I'm in the Bensheim office, actually watching a flock of Norwegian geese that come here every year to this location. There is a nice pond, so they're prancing around outside and. Unfortunately, from a from a drink perspective, I have to be the spoil sport. Uh, it's plain good old H two O. It's just uh, water in a glass that I'm drinking. <laughs> so nothing. Me too. And you know they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, especially when I have some audio issues. So yeah, just cool clear water. I don't even have it in a mug today. It's just from a bottle. So I'm going to have to take a sip here in a minute. So let's go right on headlong into our roundtable because we've got only about 21 minutes left to our show. And I'd like to start with some notes here from Angus Champion de Krepney at EY. Angus, let me toss out two of the comments you made here and tell me where you'd like to start. The Even though we have been doing the roundtable, this is officially that segment of the show. So first of all, you say new technologies enable new business models. The big wins from blockchain tech will not be from doing what we're doing now. That's one topic. The other one is... Uh, Let's see, blockchain technology is overhyped but still incredibly important. It can establish trust in an untrusted or semi-trusted digital environment. Where would you like to go, Angus? Which one? Uh, Why don't we we start with the first first one? Um, Go ahead. Yeah, sure, because there's a lot of discussions as to where this technology, be it cryptocurrencies or be it uh, more generally blockchain technology, can be can be used or, or, or leveraged, and something that the the natural uh, the natural reaction to to new technologies um, is how can I fit this into my business? So if you have a look at the internet back in the the early nineties, uh, people would look at it and say, oh, eventually people are going to be able to use this to order their groceries. Um, so that's that's true. People did eventually use it to order their groceries, but that wasn't really, and it was, you know, it's beneficial, and people have have made money from that, and um, and people have, and society generally has has benefited uh, from that. But it was the it's the new applications and new products, um, mobile, social media, these other things that you just couldn't do before, that have really 
you know, really kind of shot the lights out. And, you know, this, this technology, you know, is, is similar in that sense. If you're having a look at the technology and saying this, you know, how can I stick this into my business and change as little about my business as possible and still get all the benefits, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you may be able to get some benefits with that. And there are, there are a number of areas in financial services where people have been previously looking at that. But I think the dialogue at this point is starting to move towards, um, well, we, you know, if we really want to get the benefit, how can we look at this in a different way? Um, how can we, rather than where does blockchain technology fit into uh, our business, instead thinking if blockchain technology is ubiquitous, if value can move like data, if uh, people can be custodians over their own information and not service providers, then what does my business look like? So that's kind of the, the direction that, um, that we see it, uh, that, we, uh, that we see is, is a bit more interesting. Thank you. Very insightful. Richard McCammon, I'm going to ask you agree or disagree. A lot of good, uh, good insights here from Angus. What's your thought? I, to a large degree, I agree with Angus. And I, I think the, uh, the value is going to come more from the blockchain uh, than, than necessarily from the cryptocurrencies, and specifically Bitcoin. Uh, crypt, the, the blockchain concept has so many other valuable options to it. And I, as I mentioned earlier, probably one of the, the, the greatest parts of the blockchain itself is the whole concept of authentication and the ability to authenticate one or multiple people in a, uh, in a transaction. And also, because blockchains can build into its own uh, set of rules, uh, the blockchain is not just about authentication. It also builds into... Uh, rule set that you can say uh, in order for this blockchain to continue, it needs to carry with it um, other attributes, like two people have to sign on to it, or there, there could be limits put on the transaction. There's a number of different things that can also be built into the blockchain itself. So I, I see blockchain as being a very valuable tool in industry as we move forward and we use electronic identification and authentication and transfers uh, more and more is becoming a, a fundamental part of what we're doing. I do question, though, uh, the concepts of, of Bitcoin specifically. Uh, I think cryptocurrencies are going to catch catch on. I think it's just one of those cases where with Bitcoin, uh, they've used a great technology. Um, it was early days on the Bitcoin. Bitcoin probably won't survive. That's more my uh, projection, but it will it will spin off other cryptocurrencies that will overcome some of the deficiencies that uh, Bitcoin has experienced over the last few years and, and probably gain. Now, when you do that, of course, if you've, if you've got multiple cryptocurrencies coming into the marketplace, then it, it can be a, sort of a wild, wild west. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it falls out in the end. Thank you. Very interesting. Gerlinda, a lot to talk about. Agree or disagree with either or both. Go ahead. Yeah, so it's interesting that the discussion now has split off in in blockchain and Bitcoin. I I definitely see, to me it seems more like these are interesting solutions to problems yet to be identified. Uh, Blockchain Mm -hmm. as an open ledger with a zero trust model, um, I can somewhat get that, that this might be of interest, but I haven't yet seen the usage, use case. And Bitcoin, to me, is, yeah, electronic money where we have other solutions available right now that you could leverage where you can directly transfer 
money to somebody using your credit card even. So I don't, I don't quite get what, what you should use it for. Um, you have to authenticate, yeah. And like in this case of Bitcoin, it's just a passphrase secures the participant's wallet. And um, that's the number one problem in security, right? That passphrases, passcodes are... Um, rather weak and simple. And that's also, I think, one way uh, what we had in the introductory discussion that uh, yeah, not separating bills from billfolds, but coins from bitcoins, that how you can, uh, can uh, steal them, right? If you know the passphrase to uh, somebody's wallet, electronic bitcoin wallet, then you can definitely get to it. Interesting. Angus, I'm going to circle this back to you since you started this topic. Any thoughts on what Richard and or Gerlinda have shared with us? Yeah, sure. The uh, Bitcoin is an is an interesting thing, right? It's it was the first proof of concept uh, or or pilot or uh, product that that was that leveraged blockchain technology, and I mean it created blockchain technology. Blockchain specifically, I, I don't think is actually even mentioned in Satoshi's white paper that mapped this whole thing out. So mm-hmm. consequently, it's not a perfect system because. It was the first go at it, and frankly, if it was perfect, that would be, um, you know, you, you can't really expect the first go to be perfect. But something that it that it does have going for it is that there's more computing power going into validating Bitcoin transactions than um, uh, than I think I, I can't remember, but then I think by a number of the by a multiple of the number of of the number of the various supercomputers in the world combined, something like that, right? But the the general thing is that there's a lot of computing power going into ensuring that the blockchain is secure. What this means is that in a in the digital world, if you want to show or demonstrate that something existed in a certain state at a certain point in time such as a legal contract, such as um, um, you know, an insurance contract or some digital rights or um, a patent or some intellectual property. There is no more secure place uh, in the digital space than to store it on the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, does the currency itself as a payment mechanism have value right now? In some parts of the world, um, but I think that's yet to be proven how it's more beneficial over uh, over credit cards or, or other mechanisms. But will it enable other, you know, other potential? Um, we'll see with that. Take away all of that, just simply being able to demonstrate that level of trust that you can authenticate something in the digital world existed at a certain point of time and a certain mm-hmm. state. That has value. And I think that people over time, much like, say, you know, TCPIP back in the, the 80s would be hard for, you know, some people to picture exactly what that's going to enable in the future. Blockchain technology is an enabling infrastructure with a lot of power to develop that trust. And I think there just needs to be the scaffolding to get to the ultimate building that has the real value for the, um, for the mass consumer. 
Thank you very much. Interesting topic. Linda, I almost think we need two shows on this, but let me move on to some notes here from Richard McCammon. Richard, I don't want to say that you're taking the dark view of this, but I, I have to read a couple of notes you sent me, and, and let's let you go into this. You say cryptocurrencies are anonymous and can therefore be used for nefarious transactions. That's no do-gooders or do-not-gooders. You say in the end, this anonymity will block the use of cryptocurrencies, and then you say this is the killer statement here. You say cryptocurrencies will never achieve the level of trust with, with people. I assume you mean everyday people, the rest of us, as far as every, ordinary people doing their ordinary business on an everyday basis. So, Richard, you want to tell us how doom and gloom this really is? <laughs> well, as I say, I usually take the devil's advocate position as well. But <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I think ultimately it, it does come down to trust, and a lot of people... Uh, they have differing views on trust. I mean, if you take a look at things that are in the marketplace right now, something like Apple Pay, they're really trusting their own fingerprint on on a simple cell phone. And whether that provides the level of authentication that we really need, uh, you know, that I think the, uh, the jury's out on that one as well. So I, I think the cryptocurrency is, is going to be very interesting among those who can utilize it for whatever their ends are, and that's the nefarious side that I was talking about. It's the anonymity that um, I can transfer money to anybody in the world that I've got their address for, and uh, it, the government can't pick it up, the police can't pick it up, because the tag that I use, the address that I use, is in no way tied to me as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I don't have a bank account that sits in Switzerland. I don't have a bank account that sits anywhere else. I don't have anything that can be traced, essentially. And it's that anonymity that uh, governments are going to start trying whatever they can do to block it. Now, uh, can they block it? Who knows? People have tried to block the Internet, and it's the same, same concept. Because, you know, can you ultimately block something as, as distributed as the Internet and as distributed as, as Bitcoin? So, you know, because it has that nefarious background to it, because it has the anonymity to it, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are just going to be a little shy to use it, and it, it, it just doesn't take a lot. Um, Gerlinda said herself, I mean, she's in the industry. She's in security. She understands everything about it, and she's still shy about the, the pieces that are there. So it's, it's, without that sort of acceptance, it really isn't going to, to gain the ground that it needs to, and it will... It may not completely die, but it's going to be run primarily for people who are, you know, call them geeks or call them people who, to, as I say, to their own ends, can use the Bitcoin because it's anonymous and, and strictly because it's anonymous, because it gives them uh, the capability of doing things that you can't do if people know who you are publicly. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Gerlinda, love to get your thoughts on this. Provocative? Is he telling the truth according to, uh, according to what you see? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> it seems as if uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, in keeping not only his identity <laughs> unknown, uh, is offering us a technology that uh, yes. can do that with bitcoins and blockchains for other public le- le- ledgers. He's actually doing what he promises in that sense. Um, I totally ag- agree to Richard here. Um, uh, I, although I have the comment in the latest IEEE Computer Journal, there is an article about the dictator's false dilemma, and it discusses how dictatorships cannot advance because of lacks in technology and so forth. 
And basically, there are many dictators out there, and they can block the Internet. That's been done and proven. So you can, you can block... Um, um, you can block Bitcoin or blockchain if you so wanted to as a as a, a state or as a government. Um, so I don't trust Bitcoins or this this technology behind it. I have really a hard time um, first of all seeing the use case and then um, yeah believing in the security. One of the items that um, uh, what were alluded to is that. Um, there is an infrastructure behind, and that's basically uh, people or organizations sharing their computing power to mm-hmm. do all these um, verifications. Um, and now that's the angle where security comes in. I mean, everybody here has to really rely on that. All the people that share their computing power and all the organizations have set up those computers securely. And uh, that's already pretty hard to do in organizations, in, even in, in big software companies. And I, I doubt that everybody has their, uh, their, the latest security patches from Windows or whichever other vendor they use implemented. So I have my doubts there. Thank you, Gerlinda. You know what? We are technically uh, we're six minutes from the end of the show, and I usually save this amount of time for the predictions. And I do want to—I have a predictions question for the three of you. But Gerlinda, there's one thing here in your notes. And by the way, I apologize to you. I'm looking down, and I did see that you mentioned Satoshi Nakamoto in your notes to me, and uh, so I, I should have seen this before. So thank you for that as well. Now, a uh, question is: You're saying here the term miner. Can you just briefly tell us what a miner is? You're saying here research has claimed that if you own 30% of nodes in the system, we haven't even talked about this, acting as miners, M-I-N-E-R-S, as like somebody mining for gold or silver, you could succeed in maliciously spending bitcoins twice. Is this realistic? Gerlinda, could you just define miners and what you mean by nodes, and we'll have to save the rest (laughs) for another show because I want to move to predictions. Go ahead. Okay, a node is simply a computer uh, accessing the system. A miner is somebody that... um, has more uh, of the uh, technology installed to offer for everybody joining the system uh, to do verification of transactions and to add them to the so-called public ledger. Now, this miner, which has additional software, has to have their computers running 24-7, right? So um, that incurs a uh, a bill, an electricity bill. And so that these um, these participants in the system can pay the electricity bill, they have the right to mine bitcoins. So by, uh, a, c- a certain set of successful verifications of transactions, um, they get money paid in bitcoins to them so that they can cover for their cost. Okay, sounds very interesting. I think we need a whole show on that. Thank you, Gerlinda. I'm going to circle back to Angus Champion de Krepny at EY. And thank you, Angus. You've been tweeting, and so has Karen Geraldo, our friend. At, uh, she's in Canada, I believe, right now, and EYSAP has been tweeting. Thank you very much, Eileen. Uh, question. Instead of my saying how far in the future can you predict something different, I'm just going to give you all a target and ask the quick question. Angus, look at the year 2020, not that far off, but just enough that it's still sort of over the horizon. Will Bitcoin be accepted? Will, let's say, will industries in the U.S. be using it? And will we personally have Bitcoin wallets with quotes around it? Yes or no in a quick sentence, why? I'm going to give you each about 45 seconds. Angus, go. 
Um, I, I think it is likely, and um, but I think what's going to, um, how this is going to take off, uh, or how this will get mass consumer adoption, is when we're no longer talking about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies or blockchain technology, because the application that uses it to deliver the product sells itself because it has value in itself. Um, Bitcoin or blockchain technology is just the underlying enabler for it. Um, but you know the the product like email, email is beneficial even if you didn't know how TCP/IP worked. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it'll be the you know it'll be the same with uh, with this technology. Thank you. Very and, and to, were you including the yes? Did that include our personal wallets or just industries using it? I, I think it will. I think it will look different. For example, you could have machines performing payments with other machines, or you could be doing transactions through your web browser. Um, now, whether it's you're physically in control of that, or whether it is uh, you buy, you know, you have a proxy control over that, but someone else is is holding the the you know private keys or direct control, which was which was mentioned before. Um, I think a lot of that, you know, actual uh, infrastructure or uh, actual consumer interaction, how we can make that easy for consumers and safe and reduce the risk. Uh, I think there's a lot of working out to do there. But I think will we will we or institutions be using it um, in some sort of of relevant, um, you know, relevant way, I, I think there's a very likely possibility. Thank you. Richard McCammon, I just have time for a yes or no, personal or institutional for 2020 and Bitcoin. Talk to me fast. Neither. 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 Oh, I had a feeling that would be short and sweet. Thank you. That was a no. Gerlinda Zabolski, yes or no, institutional or personal Bitcoin by 2020. Talk to me. Only niche usages for either people that want to be uh, kept anonymous or maybe in IoT scenarios where you don't care when sensors talk to sensors, you don't need the identity, you just need a record. Ah, very interesting. The topic, the, the plot thickens, as they say. Angus champion Decrepney, thank you so much for joining us, and a shout-out to Paul Alvarez at EY for referring you to us and us to you. We really enjoyed having you on, and hope you'll come back. Richard McCammon, what can I say? Stay home for a little while and come back on the radio with us. Gerlinda, you and I are going to talk about a crypto cybersecurity series for the fall because I think we've got to do it together. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, thankful for three very, very astute and articulate panelists. We've been talking about Bitcoin and blockchain. What do you think? Email us. Send us your comments on Twitter at hashtag SAP Radio. Shout out to everyone who tweeted. Justin, thank you very much in the business channel. And here's my call to action. What are you waiting for? Fasten that seatbelt. Go out and be a game changer today. See you tomorrow on two editions of Live Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.